0: Welcome back. Tripp and I are here again talking more about community. Uh, today we're talking about what went wrong. I know last episode we talked about how statistically we as Americans are becoming less community-minded and more insular. And a lot of that was very kind of doom and gloom. But I don't think that's... I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit more. I don't think that's the, the reason... That these things are happening—that's just the effects of what is happening. So I'm excited to hear about what went wrong. But before we start, I'd love to know. I mean, you're now basically the the community guy here at Holy Trinity. Uh, You're the one planning events, trying to get people together, doing stuff. So like, what what are some difficulties you've encountered uh, either trying to create community or in community generally?
1: Yeah, I'll take a step back and not just target specifically people at Holy Trinity, but just in general in my experience in ministry, uh, whether college ministry or just um, small groups that I've experienced, and other things. Um, this is not. This is just a reality of living in a broken world. It's not targeting anybody in particular. But there's a few things that come to mind. Number one is, I think there's a big feeling, and maybe this comes from what we talked about last episode of like how um, your friendships were in other contexts, like mates, teammates, classmates. Like you, we have this perception of what we think friendships should look like in the church. Which basically what I'm saying is like. I think we think to have community in the church means that everyone needs to be your best friend, you mm. know? And that's really hard. You know? It's hard <laughs> to have like 20 best friends. You know, what happens is like, well, they're not really your your friends, you know, or they're not, you can't have a best friend if you have 20 best friends, if you know what I mean. And sure. So we just have limited capacities and I just think there can be an unhealthy view of that sometimes. And I've fallen into that, like, where I feel like, okay, these new group of guys, like, I need to treat them like my college guys, you know, mm. <laughs> or, or like guys that I've, you know, grew up with together that I've known for so long. Like, yeah, I think there can just be an unhealthy relationship to that. Like you think like the new friendships that you're creating need to be like your old friendships mm. and that can get toxic and unhealthy and be bad expectations. And like, there's all sorts of problems there with boundaries and all sorts of things. So there's that expectation of like what friendships look like. Now, that's not to say like they shouldn't become good friends. Like sure. reality is it's like it's hard to come to church if like your friends aren't there. Like you should be trying to pursue friendships. And so it's been honestly something I've really wanted to see and built here at Holy Trinity and in other church contexts. It's just, hey, we talk about community. We talk about life together. Like I think the baseline of a lot of that we're talking about is like what do we like, how do we pursue friendships, you know, but I guess what I'm saying is what I've seen sometimes in unhealthy communities is you think you should be best friends with everybody, and that can be tough. I think, secondly, and this is, you know, just a reality I've experienced is, man, just some people can be hard to be friends with, you know, <laughs> and yeah. it's, there's a reason why I said my sweetmates mates I became friends with, because, like, we were, we got along. Maybe someone else listened to this, like, I don't like my sweet mates at all, because they they, they weren't easy to get along with. Uh, so just some people can be hard to love, and hard, and, but that's where, like, you know, the convictions of the gospel, convictions of the spirit would really come alongside. Sometimes just people aren't compatible with one another. Sometimes people have all sorts of different life circumstances, social context, and all sorts of things that just, like, really shape you in different ways, and um, sometimes people say things that are really rude or unloving or all sorts of things. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I like, don't want to be friends with that person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like, Hey, you gotta, how do you w- walk that line between pushing through that, but also having some of those boundaries to say like, okay, I, I, I don't when I want that, that aspect of those friendships to shape who I am and my character. And then the last thing I would just say is uh, I think, getting involved with community. I've seen this in certain contexts is you can just get, uh, as I might say, lost in the sauce. Like, I think some church contexts like really ask you to like, hey, put everything on the line. You know, like, we are a church that does small groups. And if you don't do small groups or you don't pursue community, then you're not really a part of the church. And that's a little bit extreme. You know, I'm caricaturing that a little bit. But I think people can like lose themselves. Like, because they, I'm doing serving at two services in the morning, then I got community group at two, then I got a Bible study at six, and I'm leading, then the next morning I have a Bible study that I'm leaving, leading, and it's just like, oh my gosh, like, you have no time, just did, did like, you read the Bible today, like, or are you always doing this with, like, you know, 15, 20 people, and are you doing this just because the church told you to do it? So I think, while yes, I want to push against, like, being just an individual, I think people can almost lose their individuality, you know, and not take regard for their own health, their own boundaries, just because um, you get lost in the sauce a little bit and forget that like, Hey, like you need to pursue God and you have like an individual walk that God cares about. He does want you to pursue community, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't want you to lose yourself as you uh, love and pursue others. So there's a few thoughts.
0: Yeah, those are great. (laughs) I, I think, as we go into what went wrong, I think that can be helpful to kind of frame our discussion. Like, like communities, even inside the church, like, just being in a small group isn't like, okay, you're doing it. Like, everything's fine. Like, yeah. there's there's more to it than that. And there are problems that can go wrong even inside Christian community that's really trying.
1: Yeah. Um, Would you uh, add anything to that? or?
0: I mean, I as far as, like, things that I've encountered in community that have been challenging, one thing, and I think this might speak to some people, is... I have been in groups where there has been a greater love for the culture of the group than for the people in the group, if that makes any sense. And so there's there, it, that what that tends to do is it tends to drive you away from inviting new people. Yeah. Um, because you're like, no, 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 no. Like this thing we've built with the four, the five, the six of us is really special. We have like this, the the way we do things, the way that we interact with each other is really unique. We can't interact, we can't add a person because that'll change the culture or it'll, it'll ruin kind of the the mix of the people so like we have to become even though we're a group of six you then become insular again you yeah. put up these barriers because you're like oh no the more, most important thing about our group isn't the community it's this culture it's yeah. this this special way that we do things and it makes you almost like gnostic where you're like yeah. oh we have the right way to do things and everybody else out there like those are the others yeah. so that's something that i've encountered before and and i've had to be aware of and fight against to be like whoa wait a minute like no, like we don't have like the secret recipe here. Yeah. Like we need to make sure that we're including, that we're inviting, that we're growing because new people that come in, yeah, they might ruin what we have, but we'll make something new. Yeah. It's not going to get worse. It's just going to get
1: different. Yeah, that's good. I've seen that as well. And um, that can get kind of scary sometimes. Yeah. When people really run with that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think that, that sets me up well to talk about. We're going to be talking about some of, the difficulties of pursuing community and behind that, why we even have those difficulties. And guess what? The Bible has a lot to, to say about that. And I'll let you guess what went wrong. Uh, it's a three letter word. S I N. When we see the fall of humanity in the garden, you know, it's not simply a tragic story long ago, but I would say it's, it's endemic and descriptive of the, of the human nature. And the story we have repeated time and time again throughout our own lives and throughout how we pursue community. I think that's just helpful to remind ourselves that the scope of the fall is not just humanity lost its relationship to God. There is obviously that, you know, God, we're no longer in the garden. He doesn't walk in the cool of the day right beside us, but we're, we're also disconnected from fellowship with one another. So yes, we've, we've fallen from relation, this unique relationship to our creator. We're now east of Eden. We're now outside of the garden. But we, we're, we're also falling from fellowship and cooperation with our fellow man. You see Adam and Eve turn against each other after the fall happens. And then we're actually, too, we, we're disconnected from loving and serving and cultivating our creation, our world, as we're meant to. So the scope of the fall is not just that we're fallen from relationship to God, but also fallen in relationship to one another and then fallen in re- relationship to, to our world around us. There are thorns and thistles around us that make cultivating the creation more difficult. So I see three consequences of sin from these chapters, Genesis 3 through 11. So number one, we have a profound shame. That's mainly in the Genesis 3 scene. And then we're going to look at a denial of responsibility. That's in Genesis 4, a Cain and Abel story. And then lastly, there's a delusion that we can do it ourselves as in the tower of, of Babel scene. So yeah, that's um, kind of a collective shape of how this, how sin of Adam and Eve and how sin of humanity has affected how we pursue community. So that all sound good to you, Jacob? It, it sounds awful, but
0: um, <laughs> I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about sin today. This is kind of, this is... Uh, heavier and more human stuff right. for that reason. But I'm I'm looking forward to it in that I, I hope it will be really helpful in, in talking about not just, hey, things are wrong, but like, how did we get here? Yeah. And yeah. how can we kind of map in ourselves like where these things come from and kind of course correct towards not only Jesus, but towards a, a healthy shape of community. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, let's start at that first point, <laughs> if you're cool with that. Yeah. Uh, a profound shame. And I'm actually going to start somewhere that you may think I'm going way off the rails. Uh, going to get back to Genesis 3, but I'm going to start with a a lyric from the musical Dear Evan Hansen. You familiar with Dear Evan Hansen? Only vaguely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pretty popular. I uh, saw it when it came to Durham a year ago. Uh, but I, it's there's this one scene in the movie. If you know anything about the story, it traces the story of this very lonely kid in high school, you know, through, through some circumstances happened where he, you know, actually starts to build friendships, but he's built those friendships based all on a lie, and that lie gets found out. And so this is the lyric of when his lie is found out and how he processes through this. So I'd love to just read this here. He says, this is after he's been found out. He says, sometimes you see everything you wanted and sometimes you see everything you wish you had, and it's right there, right there, right there in front of you. And you want to believe it's true, so you make it true. I keep saying, I guess I wanted to believe, because if I just believe, then I don't have to see what's really there. No, I'd rather pretend I'm something better than these broken parts. Pretend I'm something other than this mess that I am, because then I don't have to look at it, and no one gets to look at it no, no one can really see. I never let them see the worst of me, because what if everyone saw? What if everyone knew? Would they like what they saw, or would they hate it too? So a little uh, Dear Evan Hansen for you this morning, Jake, but I, I love this quote. Well, I don't love this quote, but this quote is, I think it's a really interesting kind of unpacking of how What happens in our hearts when our sin gets found out, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, we don't like to believe that it's true. Uh, So we cover ourselves up in some way, shape or form. And that's actually what you see what happens in, in Genesis two to Genesis three, where you see at the end of Genesis two, they were what naked and unashamed, right? And then the serpent comes along and, you know, deceives them to eat the, the fruit. So Genesis 3, 6 here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the, to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife did what? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So I think what sin does initially and most profoundly, I'd argue, is it produces this deep and profound shame. It's the point where our own law making, our own autonomy, if you will, comes face to face with its consequences before God and his own law. This is what happens in, skipping ahead to the New Testament, but in Romans 7, when Paul walks through the importance of, of why you even have the law, what's the importance of the, the Jewish law? He says, yet if I, it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not known What it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. (laughs) Um, He says elsewhere, You know, where there is no law, there is no transgression. But when the transgression is pointed out to me, then I feel a deep shame here. He goes on to say at the end of that chapter, He says, What a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death?
0: Hmm.
1: I think there's a part of us behind closed doors that we feel if people knew that thing about me, I'd be ruined. I can't confess this shameful thought or this habitual practice because it'd be horrifically embarrassing. Uh, my 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 imperfections would be found out. This is what Evan Hansen's getting at there, you know. Like, um, I'd rather pretend I'm something better than these broken parts. Pretend I'm something other than this mess that I am. Because because guess what? We don't want to look at it. We don't want to look at those depths of our hearts, the darkness behind uh, those little that little lie or the darkness behind uh, what you looked at on the internet, or the darkness behind, there's, there's more to our sin than what I think we'd like to realize, and I think that's what Genesis 3 is getting at. I think that's what Dear Evan Hansen is getting at as well. Again here, you see how Satan, the serpent of old in the garden, put something before us that seems almost true, and perhaps it contains just enough truth to justify whatever sinful appetite we might have. And, and in our sin, we, we seek to make it true. In our foolish rebellion and autonomy, we take the fruit and we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And we worship and serve created things rather than our creator. As a result of that, we can't help but want to cover ourselves up, right? We cover ourselves up with whatever we can find around us, whether that's, you know, the fig leaves or whether that's our own pride or ambition, whatever. So we, we turn inward, rather than turn outward, you know, where Adam and Eve were meant to cooperate with one another, they begin blame shifting. They, they cover themselves up rather than pushing outward. And so I think this is where we can see what can only be described as perhaps the most tragic paradox of sin. It's that in seeking our own autonomy, in trying to become more of ourselves, we actually become less of ourselves. In mm-hmm. trying to save our life, we lose it and trying to gain the whole world, we, we forfeit our souls here. So I think that's where we, where I can start. And the point, I think, is just to say that the shame of our sin leads us to cover ourselves rather than expose our brokenness to others. Mm-hmm. And as long as we cover that self up, we're, we're denying an ability to live in community with one another. We're, we're lying to ourselves and to others as to our true humanity and where freedom can ultimately be found in Jesus. So...
0: Yeah, and I think t- to that point, I think one of, the, one of the passages you read in Genesis, I think, really stood out to me. Hiding among the trees of the garden. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we can do very easily in community, where you go to the small group, and mm-hmm. you participate in the Bible study, and you give answers to questions, and then prayer time comes, and you're like, no, I don't have anything to talk about. Yeah. It's like, well, what about the, the trouble in your home life? What about the sin in your own world? What about like, the, the difficulties that you're facing as a Christian? Mm, can we pray for work? <laughs> um, yeah. And it's that very much feels like that kind of hiding in the trees of the garden. You're like, well, I don't want to leave community, but like, I don't want to really be exposed in it either. I'd rather be here like hiding behind a tree and just kind of lob my my spiritual answers to your questions at totally. you during the Bible study portion of the tour. But when it comes to the real like meat and potatoes of the heart part, I'll just give you my
1: surface level answers and then go home. Yeah, I um, love that, man. And what I love about the, the Evan Hansen lyric there is, I think we trick ourselves into thinking that we don't want other people to see our brokenness, mm-hmm. but it's like, I think really, like, we don't want to see it. Sure. We don't want to be confronted face to face with how broken we are. Like, mm-hmm. what What does Paul say at the bottom of his sin? It's like, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this, this body of sin? No, he says mm-hmm. body of death. Like, I, yeah. I am Way worse than I ever realized, you know. So there's this profound shame that leads us to cover. Um, that I think that's a really good way of putting it. The way you, the way you thought through it. Continuing on, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. Secondly, here is a denial of responsibility. This comes from Genesis four. I don't have a Evan Hansen lyric here, sorry <laughs> friends. Uh, but this is in uh, the story of Cain and Abel. You may know it. You know, Abel is a shepherd. While Cain is working in the field, he tills the land. Both of them bring this offering to the Lord, and the Lord seems to favor Abel's offering as opposed to Cain's. And just skipping ahead in that story, you may know it. You know, they both present the offering, and the Lord favors Abel's offering, and then Cain builds, there's an anger that builds inside of him. And verse 8 of chapter 4, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him very next verse. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I do not know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Then of course the Lord rebukes and curses Cain. So, you know, where we were made for fellowship and co-labor with our fellow man, with one another just a few chapters ago, sin has now intruded into our hearts. Just before this scene in Genesis 4, the Lord convicts Cain by saying, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you but you must rule over it. I think that's always such a convicting verse for me. It's, hey, sin wants to take this little jealousy and turn you into something unrecognizable. You must rule over it, or it will totally turn you into something you can't recognize anymore. And we see this seed of jealousy turn Cain, you know, much more into a jealous brother, but into a murderer, um, Mm. into something less than what he was created to be. Cain's plowshare becomes a sword, you know, the reverse of what we're made to be in Christ. Cain quite literally is cutting himself off from the community given to him, his own brother. And he totally denies his responsibility to his brother, saying that damning statement, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. That word there, keeper, it's the Hebrew word shamar. It means something like to guard or to keep watch over. It's as if Cain is saying, "Hey, if you know, if something happens to my brother, what, what is that to me? You know, like, well, I didn't get this uh, play call here. <laughs> I, well, what am I supposed to do?" Mm-hmm. And so again, sin forces us to turn inward, neglect the responsibilities, the communal care that we're meant to have towards one another. It turns us against our nature, and we say things like, "What." what is that to me? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. now I'm not accusing, you know, this gets real tricky. I'm not accusing everyone of being canes of being murderers by any means, but I think the same temptation lies on a lot of our doorsteps. You know, that pride, that ambition, that drive for something more, that thing that occupies your thoughts all the time. It may seem like that's a, that's even a really good thing to push yourself, to achieve, to see the world, all those desires that can so quickly sin lies at your door. It's desirous for you. Those, that thing can so quickly become something else, can become violent, can, you know, advance yourself at the expense of others, and it can lead you to neglect your family or neglect your community right down the road and lead you to say, hey, what what is that to me? I can wipe my hands clean of that. Next thing you know, we see fractured churches, fractured workplaces, fractured families all around us, and we find ourselves, you know, kind of shrugging our shoulders, not really caring about this. So, I know there's a lot of messy situations to that, but I don't know any thoughts, Jake, to yeah. where I'm going with with some of that. Well,
0: it's just it, I think it's it's a denial of responsibility for others, which I think is just part of our core nature as as sinful kind of self monsters. I, I think the the natural inclination of, of people, and especially me, uh, I will I will fully admit that this is me in a nutshell. Is our center of gravity is us? What am I going to do today? Where am I going to do so so? Other people's problems become this kind of take it or leave it where they're like, oh, well, if somebody has a problem like right in front of me, I might give him a hand. If I see my brother stumble right in front of me, I'll give him a hand. But if I just hear about it, like, am I really going to go out of my way to go help somebody yeah. else? And it's like, well... Maybe not. Maybe the thing I'm working on that day just feels too important, or the thing I have planned has been on the calendar for three months. Yeah. Or maybe you know what? I'm just tired today, and I, I really can't be bothered. Like, I'm, am I really my brother's keeper? Can yeah. he take care of himself? I'm, I, and there's a kind of a well. I got mine. I'll take care of myself. He'll take care of himself. And I think that is so dissolving of the body of christ if every eye in the body says we're just going to worry about eyes and all the hands say well i'm just going to worry about hands you end up with this greater sense of isolation because then what if you have problems yes what what is what is your nature say well it's me everyone should be coming around me to help me which i think is correct But you don't feel that way about other people. And I think that is one of my greatest struggles is is trying to change that center of gravity to make it instead of being me, make it Jesus, make it his body so that I'm loving Jesus and his people Mm -hmm. instead of just me. Because it makes this denial of responsibility, it makes that inclination to kill your brother harder because yeah. you're like your focus isn't you uh, yeah. your focus isn't the the scorning of my offering over my brother's offering it's it's w- what delight that my brother's offering was right. acceptable to the lord like what an incredible opportunity to praise yeah. the lord yeah. and i think that can be yes yeah, so harmful and so isolating because it makes you the center of community instead of Jesus. Yeah.
1: yeah, and there's so many messy situations with this. I mean, I'll give one example. You know, perhaps say you're on your way home and you get a call from an old friend. He's reaching out to you. He wants to catch up. But ultimately, his point here is that he wants to tell you, you know, his, his marriage is struggling. He keeps saying, I, I think it would be better if we saw our friends more. You know, they're often, him and his wife, they're just alone together. They can't seem to get out of a cycle of arguments. And, you know, from this... you know what you need to do, you know, you should grab dinner with them, catch up, but you know, they live almost 30 minutes away, you have two kids, you can only do so much, next thing you know, six months, a year, two years go past, and you've totally lost touch with your friend, and where he and his wife are at. Now, I want to be totally clear on that point, like, there's a lot of factors there that can be a very complicated situation, I'm not trying to place blame on anyone necessarily there, but what I am saying, I think, is that I think this is an example, especially here in the the West, here in America, and in our own, you know, Bible Belt community. I think this is an example of, if we aren't careful, I think we can find ourselves on that moving sidewalk going towards individualism, justifying our actions, saying, you know, hey, I can only, I can only do so much, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for my family, I can't do it all. Like, my brother's calling asking me for help, but I can't, I, I'm sorry, man, like, I can't really do it. I'm not saying, you know, you got to have boundaries, of course, but like, I think that comes from somewhere, and the Bible would actually speak to that. Like, we don't often acknowledge, like, I have a responsibility for my brother. (laughs) You know, I am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. (laughs) Now, one commentator sheds light, just you know, closing out this section. He says, you know, the lie of Cain is one thing, but the repudiation of responsibility for a brother is very telling. If a nation or family is to survive, the people must be responsible for the well-being of one another. Of course, the answer that Cain expected to his question, "Am I my brother's keeper?" was a decisive no. <laughs> you know, he wasn't expecting the Lord to, to come back with any sort of affirmative there. So he, he knew what the answer he was looking for, and that was no. You're not supposed to be your brother's keeper. And so, anyways, uh, so that's my second point there. Thirdly, we are going to talk. Skip ahead a few chapters to the Tower of Babel in uh, the delusion that we can do it ourselves. There's a lot I could talk about with Tower of Babel. I actually wrote about it a lot in a seminary. It's a really fascinating passage, not just scripturally, but sociologically, whatever you want to call it. But you may know that story, pretty famous, you know, just going to read some verses here to set the context at the beginning of chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. I think what's interesting about the Babel story is a lot of people have asked the question, like, what exactly is wrong with what the people are doing in Genesis 11? You know, it looks like instead of migrating, people are settling down. So, you know, we've got civilization coming together. We've got people working together for the purposes of... Of city building and community. <laughs> so not going to read the whole thing to everybody here, but you know, you may be pretty familiar. You know, they try to build a name for themselves and try to build a tower and the Lord comes down, investigates this little project and confuses their language and scatters people as a result, which, you know, if God is a God of community, you know, made, makes us for community, why in the world would he do this? Why would he scatter people who it seems like they're, they're pursuing community? It seems like God is actually Adding to the problem rather than helping resolve it, I think the key for unlocking this passage and to unlocking that that point I made above of, of the delusion that we can do it ourselves is in verse four, where it it's, we're told that the people wanted to make a name for ourselves. I'm not going to get into it all here, but you know if you if you are familiar with the story about what, it comes at a very interesting place. It's right after the the Noah story, and Noah has three sons: Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And you may know at the beginning of chapter 10, all the way up into the Babel story, there's these genealogies of each of the brothers. You've got the genealogy of Ham, genealogy of Japheth, and then the genealogy of Shem. You may know the blessings of God were meant to be in the line of Shem. Now, the Babel story is actually, it interrupts the genealogy of Shem. Uh bear with me for a few more minutes. I know I'm talking a lot of genealogies and stuff here, but it's interesting because um, there you see that the people tried to make a name for themselves. And what comes right after this story is the genealogy of Abram, of genealogy of Abraham. And whenever you get to the beginning of chapter 12, what was Abraham supposed to do? He was supposed to, um, God would make his name great. God would make his shim great. So there's this balance of what's happening between these two stories is there's the the folly of trying to, pursue community and make a name for ourselves versus receiving the blessing, receiving the name that God gives to us himself. Mm -hmm. So I think the Babel story reminds us time and time again that when groups or cultures in any way attempt to try to communicate that they have received a specific dispensation or superior identity over other humans and do so by the means of our own effort, Genesis 11 tells us that the result is the opposite of human flourishing it's pain, confusion, and the inability to hear and work alongside our fellow man. All this just to say, what's compelling about the Bible story is this idea that you can have community that isn't really community. Mm. Um, you can have even like somewhat like church community, quote unquote, that's not really what God wants, you know, in the community that you're pursuing. I'm not saying, you know, here that, uh, community that isn't grounded on the gospel is bad, ultimately, and you should get out of it. I'm not by any means saying that you shouldn't be in communities that aren't Christian. By all means, you should. Uh, you know, that group you play basketball each week, that Thursday women and wine group, or whatever you have, that Saturday morning men's breakfast, all those things are great. But when we start to say, well, this is my community, I don't need the church, or something of that nature, that's where I want to push back. Because I think we think, oh, we're, we're I'm getting what I need, you know? Um, when you know, we, we've seen time and time and again that the gospel would have us pursue another aspect of community. So the point here under the delusion that we can do it ourselves is that sin creates the delusion that we don't need God to provide the community that we need. We can do it ourselves. We can build a name for ourselves. We can build a tower into the heavens to, to pursue what we want to pursue. So anyways, any thoughts of that, Jake? None. I have none at all.
0: That's a great point. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, it, it makes
1: me think of what you thought of. Towards the beginning, you know, there can be groups that silo themselves and isolate themselves, oh, and yeah. you know, kind of have this like, we got it figured out, you know. Sure. Even like well-meaning groups, you know. So, mm-hmm. you sure. know, and I think you could be going to that men's group or women's group, and and you haven't confessed your sin in like two or three years, mm-hmm. but like, you smile and say hey to your buddies and talk about the game this past weekend, and yeah, you might read even a little bit of scripture, but like nobody gets into your heart. You know, nobody mm. gets into life together. Nobody's really speaking words of encouragement or anything. And so it's like, oh, well, is this, but I'm doing it, right? I'm doing the community thing. Like, I and we, there's this delusion that we can have that, that we can do it ourselves without the Lord speaking into how he would have us pursue community. So one last thing I want to recognize though, is I, I want to say something, you know, there's a reality because of these three, three things, you know, because of your sin, you have become ashamed and you've hid your sin from others. Maybe people have experienced that or because you have sinned, you have neglected the love and care of your neighbor. I'm sure I've definitely experienced. It. I'm sure we all have to some degree. And then thirdly, you know, because you have sinned, you have sought community in places outside of the communities God would want you to pursue. While that may be true and definitely has been true in my own life, I, I want to say like there's a reality of the collateral damage from those three things that impacts the way we pursue community. You know, All of us are, of course, sinners, but We have also been sinned against, so we now live in a world where people do shameful things without regard to its consequences, and that affects us, that people neglect the poor and lonely. Sometimes we're on the side of isolation. Sometimes we're that person asking people for help, and nobody responds to us. Mm. And thirdly, hey, we, we pursue rather destructive communities rather than ones that build one another up. And so there's these three things. They're not just things that we contribute to, but they're almost a toxic cocktail of sorts, which... It's not just for our own culture, but human cultures throughout all time have have drunk this throughout time, and and we are impacted by that as well. So there's just a reality of I'm, I want to say to people like, yes, we have done this in all sorts of different ways, but you know when we look at those statistics, when we look at that, um, you know, complaint against why doesn't the church care about this or that person? It's like, well, there's just a reality of these things that have shaped us all, and fortunately Jesus comes along and redeems some of these things, but. And we've been sinned against in these in these um, things as well. So,
0: and I know all of that can sound kind of hopeless. Um, <laughs> and without Jesus, it kind of is. But I, I know next time we're talking about more of the, re- the how do we kind of live into this redeemed community? How is community redeemed? And I just I'd love to talk. I'm lo- interested to talk more about that next time. But is there any hope on this side in this yeah. episode? Um, yeah.
1: Well, I think you can look at those three things right there: shame. Denial of responsibility, delusion, we can do it our own selves. I mean, that, that shame that eats us alive. Whoever has come face to face with Jesus, I hope, has experienced this. You know, what does Paul say right after the end of Romans 7? He gets to, you know, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of, de- body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, guess what he launches into? Romans 8, you know, the, the, one of the, some of the most powerful beauties of the gospel. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So that shame that eats us alive, that makes us want to cover ourselves with something, we are actually meant to be covered by something, and it's the righteousness and the love of Christ. So we confess our sin, both to God and to trust in others, knowing that there is freedom outside of trying to cover our sin. So it's Worth asking yourself in your community: Are you creating spaces for for that to happen? Because there's freedom on the other side of that. Secondly, the denial of responsibility in Christ now becomes fellowship in the body of Christ. For we recognize that to to hate our brother is to hate our very selves. <laughs> to mm. deny service to our brother is deny service to our very selves. So again, you know, asking yourself with regard to your community: Are there ways that you're stepping into the lives of your brothers and sisters to care for them and to be their friend. You know, I I like to think sometimes, you know, when we were kids on the playground, we would just say to some other kid, like, hey, do you want to be my friend? Like, (laughs) we don't do that much anymore. And we think it's weird. But I think, you know, the church needs more of that. We need more people who just say, hey, I want to be your friend, or I want to invest in your life. I want to you know, Thursday morning, I've got some free time. You want to meet up and get coffee? We can talk about our lives. We can read the Bible together. So we need—we have the ability to now step in and see our brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to be empowered to do that. And then lastly, that prideful attempt to do it our own way is totally humbled because we realize that everything we ever wanted in those other communities, our desire to be accepted and loved, our desire to be seen and known, that desire for justice is all there in the gospel, but so much more. And it's a step with God's narrative. Of redemption, And so all this, and I, mean, I think this ties back into the first episode to say is I want to communicate to conclude and be as clear as possible when I say the Christian life knows nothing of a private, individualized faith. Yes, faith is a personal thing, but it's never private. The Bible knows nothing of a private faith. The Bible knows nothing of a private salvation. The Bible knows nothing of a that's between me and Jesus kind of faith. Um, that's quite simply Not a category in the (laughs) Bible. Uh, There's something that happens when humans come together in unity under the worship of Jesus, confessing sin, turning to Christ, telling truth to one another, laughing, crying, seeing kids raised together. That reveals something absolutely essential about what it means to be made in the image of God. As the Psalms say, Psalm 133, "'Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity.'" Our salvation, our humanity is tied together in that community that we pursue. That was the point I closed on last time. But it's just so seen again that community is such a special and precious thing, and we have access to it through Jesus. Those three things, that shame, that denial of responsibility, that delusion is totally redeemed in Christ. And I think we'll see that, that more and more. As we walk through it next week. Oh, that's great. That's that's the glimmer of hope I was hoping for.
0: That's great. That's encouraging. And I, I'm really looking forward to our next episode because as you mentioned, we have a special guest who you the listener will get to meet next episode. But we're looking forward to it and Trip and I will be back with them and having another conversation about community. So yeah. look forward to seeing you then.